Good morning and happy Sabbath. I also want to talk about the evangelistic series that is coming up in April, April 17th through 19th. And this will be with Pastor James Rooney. He is a very dynamic speaker, and he will be speaking here on the main topic of who can I trust? You know, can you trust the authorities? Can you trust uh, your doctor? Can you trust the, the government? Can you trust your neighbors? Can you trust your bank? Can you trust anyone? Can you trust religion? Can you trust the church? And so this will be the general uh, theme. And there will be four topics beginning Friday evening, April 17th, and then Sabbath morning, Saturday evening, and Sunday evening. The four topics will be, is the Bible really trustworthy? Can we trust organized religion? Is there a loving God in a world full of suffering? And where and what is hell? That's something many people do not understand clearly. And so he'll be speaking about those four topics. So we will have flyers soon. Uh, but make sure you can share with your friends from now. It's April 17th through 19th. And this will be a great opportunity to bring people who are, you know, not sure they can trust anyone or not sure they can trust organized religion or they can trust even God. So we look forward to that. Uh, pardon me? Uh, it's going to be at 7 p.m. in the evenings and uh, Sabbath morning, the regular time. Thank you for that. So let's uh, pray before we start talking about today's topic. Father, we thank you for the opportunity once again of being here in your house and being in your presence. We are so thankful that you have welcomed us here. Even though we are, we are unworthy and uh, sinners, but the blood of Jesus Christ covers us and uh, cleanses us from all unrighteousness. So now, Lord, I ask that you may use me as your instrument, that the words that will come out of my mouth will be guided and inspired by the Holy Spirit. I ask, Lord, for every worshiper here today, that they may feel your presence and may leave this place feeling uh, spiritually fed. Be with us all and those who are not able to be with us. In the name of Jesus, I ask. Amen. This man, his name was William Randolph Hearst. And you may have heard of the Hearst uh, Enterprises, the Hearst, Hearst Communications Company. It's a large uh, media, uh, mass media and business information conglomerate in the United States. It's based on the Hearst Tower right there in Manhattan in New York City. And the interesting thing about this man who was the founder of it, I mean, the company uh, has its name after the founder, William Randolph uh, Hearst. The interesting thing is that he was a collector of art. And uh, some people say that he was a compulsive collector. Some people would criticize him, saying that he would collect so much, he would be always on the hunt for collecting things, and many things were too large or too cumbersome to even be appraised or to even be cataloged. And many people who criticized him would say that he had no uh, full knowledge of everything he possessed in his collection. 
And this may have been true because the story is told that on one occasion, he, was, uh, he learned of some artwork that he wanted so much and he was determined to obtain it. And he sent his agent abroad to look in other countries where his agent could find this piece of art that he might so much wanted. It was like a treasure and this person is going out. And after months of investigating, investigating, the agent comes back and says to Mr. William Hurst, I have found the piece of art that you were looking for. And to even sweeten the find, the agent said, you know where this artwork is? It won't cost you a dime to get it. And uh, he couldn't believe, how is it that it won't cost me a dime? He said, and the agent said, it's right here in your collection. It's right here in your warehouse. And so the, the artwork was discovered, was rediscovered right there in Hearst Warehouse with many other treasures that he likewise never even know, knew that he had possession of. Many, many of them were not ever, were never uncreated even. And so I think that sometimes the desire for acquiring more, the desire for acquiring things can blind us from what we already possess. And I believe that there is a lesson right here for all of us and a lesson that is for us to value and to love what we have, especially our relationships. Yes, relationships more than anything else because money possessions, things, objects, they all come and at some point they go. But they can all be replaced. Whereas people and relationships, they cannot be replaced. They are absolutely unique and cannot be replaced. This week, we lost in Brenda McClare a person that was absolutely unique. Someone who impacted those who knew her in very unique ways. Her faith in Jesus, her smile, her calm attitude, her strength, and her desire to live have left a deep impression in people's hearts. She was a person of faith. She was a woman of faith. Which also reminds me that tomorrow, March 8th, has been set aside by society to be international Women's Day. Now, some women, I know some of them, I know some of them are very close to me, some women do not really appreciate the fact that one day in the year calendar has been set aside to celebrate women. And uh, because after all, you know, women are here uh, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. They're not here only one day a year. But society has set aside this day, and I particularly, I'm not a big fan of that either because I believe women should be celebrated every day. But I would say that this uh, International Women's Day maybe can be used to remind us of some things. I think we can look at it as a good reminder. <clears throat> a reminder that, unfortunately, 79% of police reported intimate partner violence is against women. And so people who go to the police and report that they have been, uh, uh, they have been harmed 
hurt by a partner, by an intimate partner, 79% of those people are women. On any given night, and what I'm going to say here is actually from 2014. So some six years ago, the numbers might be higher today, but on any given night in 2014 in Canada only, 3,491 women and their 2,724 children sleep in shelters because it isn't, it isn't safe to stay home. And even though over the past 20, 20, 25 years, the gender wage gap has decreased, it seems that still in many industries, women are still underpaid compared to their male counterparts. In some industries, women are paid less, are paid $4 less than their male counterparts. The high percentage of men around the world who seek divorce when their wives are diagnosed with breast cancer in a particular country, a country I know very well, a particular study there points to 70% of men leaving their wives because they have been diagnosed with breast cancer. So maybe we can take this day for at least thinking of these things that as, as sad and unfortunate as they look, they are real. These are realities of this world we live in. And as Christians, we should not close our eyes, our eyes and our ears to those things. We should not only say, well, one day these things will be fixed. One day Jesus will come. And it's true that one day Jesus will come and all these things will be fixed. But in the meantime, as Christians, we need to preach not only by word, but by example. And we should not be close to the fact that these are sad realities in this world. Preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words. This is a popular saying in Christian circles, and indicates that above and beyond our words, above and beyond anything we say, our life must be the sermon. And as Christians who have a high view of Scripture, as Seventh-day Adventists who consider the Bible to be God's inspired word, and the rule of faith for the Christian, I suggest we go to the scriptures, we go to the Bible, and we go to the book of the origins, the book of Genesis, to see how God originally planned things, how God originally established this man-woman relationship, and how he designed it to be originally. God planned that man, the man and the woman would live side by side together, that they would share a life together. That no one would dominate upon the other. And so let's go to Genesis. Let's go to Genesis chapter 2. Beginning in verse 20. As it was read earlier by Lori. Genesis chapter 1 verses 20 to 23. And so the Bible says... I should just let you know that you should not expect the text to appear on the screen because it's not there. So if you have a Bible, whether it's uh, paper or electronic, you might as well, uh, you, if you want to follow, you want to grab your Bible and follow with me. So Genesis chapter 2, verses 20 to 23. 
So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. So a word of advice here to the man. Good things happen when you fall asleep. Right? Don't try to control everything. We have a tendency to think that as men we are able to control things. And we control things. We have everything under control. And our wives see that that's not the case. But we insist to say, no, we are, it's, it's all under control. Even things that we cannot normally control. And we try then to control people. Right? And, uh, and Adam was put to sleep. And it was a restful sleep. And he never knew what was going on. He never knew what was happening. He never felt anything. The Bible does not indicate he felt any pain. And then eventually when he woke up, he may have seen the scar, I don't know. But the truth is that the one thing he noticed, that's what the Bible says, is that there was this beauty right before him. And he looks at that woman, something he had never seen. Someone that was just like him. Someone that had uh, the same physical characteristics overall as he did. And he looks at that woman and he says, This is bone of my bones. This is flesh of my flesh. And she shall be called woman because she was taken out of men. And so the woman was taken out of the men. But after that, every single human being that comes into this world has come out of the woman. Has been taken out of the woman. And so God in his uh, wisdom wanted things to be this way. Right? That all of us here, all of us here, we are here today because at some point, one day, we were taken out of woman. This includes both men and women. And so I'll say especially to the men here, because I'm one of them and I feel free to say this. Especially as, let's not forget that while God is the creator indeed, and he's the author of life, we are here today because there was a woman who, for several weeks, housed you into her womb. And she kept you warm and cozy. And she protected you from the elements. And she kept you safe inside long enough, as long as possible. And in many cases, she kept you inside even to the detriment of her own health. And so, what about the fact that we read here in the Bible that the woman was taken out of man. And there was only one case where that was true. I believe from a biblical perspective, this tells us that the man must be willing to do whatever necessary to give way to the woman. 
to protect her. The man must be willing to have even his side open if it need be. If that's what God asks of him, he, is, he must be willing to have his side open. He must be willing to give a part of him if that's going to open the way for the woman to feel secure. The man must be willing to give up himself, to give anything away for the woman's well-being. Must be willing to endure whatever it might be necessary to protect the woman. So what a profound lesson we find here. That Adam had his side opened. From where a new living creature was created. Jesus also had his side opened. Jesus also had his side pierced. So that through that sacrifice... He might offer us the possibility of new life. This has has been God's plan from the beginning. That the man and the woman would walk side by side. If you pay attention to verse 20. The Bible says that Adam gave names to all cattle. To the birds of the air. And to every beast of the field. God brought them before Adam and said whatever name you give them. That's the name they're going to have. And Adam was there naming the animals and he would see that it would come in pairs. But for him, says the Bible, but for Adam, chapter 2, but for Adam there was not found a, there was not found a helper comparable to him. The, the King James Version will say a helper meet to him. Other versions will say a helper fit to him, a helper Comparable to him. So the Bible is setting right here that the man is not to dominate upon the woman. The man is to look at the woman and see in her a helper that is comparable to him. That his life would be absolutely miserable, would be absolutely lonely. Imagine Adam looking at all those animals in pairs, right, and enjoying the company of one another while he's sitting there giving names to them. And imagine if Adam had to stay the rest of his life tending the soil and naming animals. And uh, that would be a very boring life. That would be a very miserable life. But God in his wisdom said, it is not fair that Adam be alone. And so I'll provide for him a helper that is comparable. A helper that is fit to him. And so it is my desire as a minister of the gospel that we see healthy families where the love of Christ is expressed and experienced in the home healthy families where in the home no one tries to control others and that people understand that they should be controlled by the Holy Spirit where love and respect should be the resounding tone and as a pastor I'm also concerned that this be the reality here in the church That in the church, we look at each other regardless of gender. And we look at each other with love and care. And we care for one another. And particularly in regard to the women. I really want to see a church that is respectful toward the women we have here. A church that is respectful of the gifts that the women have received from God. Because after all, the one who bestows gifts is God himself through the Holy Spirit. It's not the church, it's not the pastor. And so we are not here to control the use of those gifts, 
But the Holy Spirit is the one who is giving and the one who is using people. This man is a, a retired pastor. His name is Stuart Briscoe. And I very much relate to his words on the topic of appreciating the gifts and the service that women uh, give to the church. Stuart Briscoe is an English uh, man, but he has lived in the States for many, many years, and he is a former pastor of a church in Wisconsin, maybe the largest church in the state of Wisconsin and one of the largest in the United States. And I believe that maybe he captured very, very well the essence of what it means to respect women and their gifts in the church context. So here are his words. He says, as a pastor, a husband, and a father, I have a dread of bearing someone else's talents, particularly those bestowed on women. Accordingly, I have tried to scrutinize my views, the place of tradition, the thrust of theology, and the force of my prejudices. Repeatedly, I have come back to this fact. If the Lord has given gifts, I had better be careful about denying freedom for their exercise. More than that, I need to ensure that the women in my life have every encouragement from me to be what he called and gifted them to be. A major part of my life must be spent as a man caring for, nurturing, encouraging, and developing gifted women because they are not the only ones who will give account for their stewardship. As a man in a male-oriented church, I may one day be asked about their gifts too. I would like to be able to say I did considerably more than bearing. A talent is a terrible thing to waste. I'm thankful that in this church, women's gifts and talents are valued. We have several women who participate in the church services and several women who minister to other people. And there are many women in this church whom I thank God for because they minister to people in a way that I would never be able to, particularly when it comes to ministering to other female, to other females. And so I thank God for that. Now there is something else I'd like to say today which relates to the imagery of a woman in the Bible. You know that in Bible prophecy, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, a pure woman, a virgin, a bride, a faithful wife, is a representation of God's faithful people. There are several passages that use the imagery of a woman, a pure woman, a virgin, or a bride, and a faithful wife as representing God's people, and by extension, the church. For example, here in Isaiah chapter 54, verse 5, For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. And your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. He is called the God of the whole earth. And so right here we, say, we see that the Bible is calling uh, God our maker, our husband. As his people, we are his wife. Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. And so we are encouraged to love our wives. We are encouraged to love those 
whom we love, whom we should uh, care for, just as Christ has loved the church. And what did Jesus do for the church? He gave himself. And so that's something for each one of us men here in the church to think about. Am I willing to give my life for my wife? Am I willing to go as far as laying down my life for the person whom I love? Revelation 19.7 says, Let us be glad and rejoice and give glory to him. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. Revelation 19.7. Once again, the Lamb is presented as going into marriage at the end of time and his wife will be ready to marry him, the church, God's people. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked to me saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. Revelation 21.9 And also in Ephesians 5, uh, 31 and 32, the Bible says, For this reason... A man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now, this text is a direct quotation of Genesis 2.24, which is a verse right after the scripture reading for today. And so, Paul is quoting uh, verbatim what Genesis says. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now, he uses that as an example of another of a great mystery, of a mystical union. And this is a great, great mystery, Paul says. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. And so, once again, we as Christians are expected to live side by side, to walk side by side, because the mystery that Paul is talking about is, just as a man unites with a woman and they become one flesh, they become one. Just like that, Christ is also united with the church, and He is one with His church. And we are all invited to be part of this people, to be part of this church of Jesus Christ. Just like God united Adam and Eve, His plan is that we walk side by side, as we saw in this passage of Ephesians. Just like in the natural birth, children develop inside the mother's womb and eventually they are taken out of there. In the new birth, God has provided the church as one of the main resources so that Christians can grow in Jesus Christ and eventually they go out and reach out to others in the spirit of Christ. Imagine the church as this place where we come and we are prepared to, we leave prepared to go out and share with others the love of Christ and invite them to come to be with Him. Speaking of women, speaking of Bible imagery, there is one Bible, there is one image in the Bible that is really beautiful. It's the one we talked about. It is the bride of Jesus Christ. Of all the, of all the images that maybe John could have tried to find, he used this one. When he's talking about the New Jerusalem, when he's talking about God's people, uh, he uses the imagery of a bride. Now, he could have used anything else. He could have used the sea. He could have used uh, the mountains. He could have used the flowers. All of those are beautiful things in nature. But he refers to a bride. And uh, as a preacher would say, uh, I don't know if you have 
ever seen a, an ugly bride, right? Uh, I have never. All brides are beautiful, right? And as this preacher would say, sometimes you may look at a bridegroom that could use some uh, alteration, but the, the brides are beautiful always. They are just beautiful. And so John was, was grasping for words to which he might be able to compare the new Jerusalem. And in Revelation 21.2, he says, Then I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a, as a bride adorned for her husband. And so this is what the Bible depicts the new Jerusalem as. I'm very much convinced today, I'm absolutely convinced today that all of us here have had the privilege of at some point in our lives being taken care of by a woman. Whether it be our mothers, whether it be our wives, whether it be our girlfriends, friends, nurses, doctors, at some point in life, we have been taken care for, taken care of by a woman. And so that should help us to relate to the idea that the church and the New Jerusalem have been portrayed in the Bible as a pure woman, as a bride, as someone who cares, as someone who looks after you. Now, for anyone who has never experienced this, for someone who maybe uh, didn't grow up with their mother, or someone who maybe didn't feel the, the warmth of the care of a woman, and I know there are people who have never experienced this, going, being a part of God's people, being a part of God's church, and going eventually into the New Jerusalem will be the opportunity of a lifetime to experience the warmth of God's love, the warmth of God's care and protection in a way that you have never experienced here. Even those who were raised under the care and protection of their mothers will experience something when they go into the New Jerusalem that they have never experienced before here on earth. And this is my prayer and my desire for you and I today. That we plan to be part of God's people. The ones who will be entering and inhabiting the new Jerusalem. Those who will be able to come there on a weekly basis and worship the Lord. Those who will be able to have free access to the new Jerusalem and come before the throne of God. And as the Bible says, it will be that Sabbath after Sabbath will be coming before the Lord to worship Him. I'd like to close reading this text in the book of Revelation chapter 22, verses 16 and 17. Revelation 22, 16, 17, and 20 and 21. Twenty-two, sixteen, seventeen, twenty, twenty-one, And may this be our desire, may this be our prayer, that we will be part of this people. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. And the spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him who hears say, Come. 
And let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. He who testifies of the, to these things says, Surely I am coming quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. <clears throat>